We're back with you on Should Have Been a Cowgirl, Freeman Arthur flying solo. And in the studio, I have with me one of the most talented, well-rounded musicians and just overall just an awesome person uh, <laughs> sitting across from me, Mo Pitney. Welcome to the to the studio here at RFD TV. Hey, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, I know that you've probably recounted your, your story quite a few times, but just for the people that, that might not know, so you grew up in Illinois, mm-hmm. and tell me about what it was like, and I think it was, uh, let's see, where, where, where were you from? Right Cherry outside Rockford, Valley. right? Yeah. In Cherry Valley. So, yeah, my family went up from Arkansas and Missouri all during the Depression to find work, and they brought uh they're uh preaching and singing from down south when they all needed a place to to provide for their families and so growing up in rockford illinois which is where kind of both sides of my family migrated to um uh when i was young my parents moved just outside of rockford illinois to cherry valley which is like a little small uh village uh where it had a you know two-acre lake called Ballman Park I could walk to and and go fishing every day if I wanted to um, but I spent most of my time with my friends around the neighborhood I was homeschooled uh, learned to play and sing early because both of my parents were either singers or players and then grandparents as well there was music on all sides and uh, so yeah I grew up hunting and fishing and uh, I tell people I spent almost all of my time outdoors, and the only time that you could really hold me inside was if there was music going on or if I had to do schoolwork. Right. <laughs> um, but other than that, I was just, uh, I loved God's creation and uh, the outdoors and country music because it sang about the things that I loved. I think just about everyone in your family is musical <coughs> in, in some sort, at least it seems that way. So when, what are your earliest memories of doing music in any capacity? Yeah, so very early on, my dad always had a, a recording studio in the house and he would have different people, musician friends of him, his come and go and make music. Uh, There was always music in my grandpa's church. Uh, My grandpa and grandma, they had a Southern Gospel Quartet as they came up. Um, And uh, so every Sunday morning, I'm seeing them either do the hymns or the special numbers with their quartet every morning. I started playing uh, the drums, um, was probably the first thing at 10 or 11 years old. Uh, just knowing that there was rhythm and I wanted to keep time with things. But it was probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, I got into some of my dad's records, a Johnny Cash record, some bluegrass records, um, and different things. And just uh, Tony Rice was one of my greatest heroes, his singing and playing, Larry Sparks, uh, Del McCurry. Um, and I would just sit. Um, and really just try to impress my dad by how much I could learn on the end of my bed, just learn uh, everything. And then that brought us to open mic jams, and I started playing in the band at church as well, and just kind of one step at a time, it grew layer after layer from there. I know that your faith is something that you speak very openly about. That's one of the things that I think myself and a lot of people love about you is hmm. is that you you don't ever shy away from your faith in Jesus. So I just kind of wanted just for a, a minute or two for you to kind of 
tell me a little bit about your testimony. I know you grew up in church, and you grew yeah. up playing, so yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, I kind of um, attribute maybe coming to faith uh, in the relationship with growing up in church, just being that the church setting that I grew up in made the soil good. Um, I don't think that I actually came to faith at an early age. I thought I did. I just kind of being in the environment of faith, I thought that I was one of God's children. And I guess outside of time, anyone who comes to Christ has always been his child. But um, I didn't know him in any way until after I moved to Nashville. I had gotten some things moving. Um, in town here, uh, got a record deal, started my first record, fighting through really the deep questions of life and how do you tell the truth, how do you not compromise uh, your heart in coming to a town like this and doing what you want to do. And it seemed like in the midst of that wrestle, God uh, saved one of my best, now best friends. His name's Johnny Meyer. And um, he uh, told me about his conversion experience, which I just thought we already all knew Jesus. But when he described encountering the Holy Spirit and encountering Jesus in a real way for the first time, I knew that I had never encountered God the way that he was describing. And at this part of the testimony, I tell people that I can say with the old hymn, was grace that taught my heart to fear. So it was the first time that the Holy Spirit had convicted me of how far my life had taken me away from the truth in Christ. And uh, then the second part, after a week-long repentance and wrestle with God like, like Jacob, um, my hip was out of socket like Jacob, <laughs> but um, uh, grace my fears were relieved, like it says in that verse. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And I received the Holy Spirit in my living room. I was the only person at the house reading my Bible. I was reading Psalm 107, uh, where it says, but then they called out to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from their distress. And those words became as true to me as anything I'd ever read. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the only way I can describe that feeling is that every molecule that makes me human, body, soul, and spirit, was being touched by the eternal love of God. And uh, that moment um, uh, on, I've never been the same. Now, th was this before or after you had gotten married and, and had children? or No, so it's really funny. I, um, I told God in that moment because of uh, just the profound uh, experience that I was having between him and I, I told him that I would be celibate and I would be sent to be a missionary. I said I could live without anyone alone in a ditch without a home if I could feel this close to you for the rest of my life. I'll do anything to stay this close wow. to you. And he said, I heard um, clear as day, call Emily, who was a friend of mine from Illinois, and I have always felt close to her in a friendship. Um, I always thought she was beautiful, <laughs> but I, I never assumed that God would have us be together. But it was interesting after that. And I told her my, my testimony, what had just happened to me. And she grew up in a Christian home. I thought she'd be happy for me. But she had the exact same experience that I had when John Meyer told me his testimony. She went under conviction. And her and I, after her conversion two days later, became best friends 
And I guess it was eight or nine months after that we got engaged, and eight or nine months after that we we were married. Wow. So, so, so did you and Emily, did you grow up knowing each other, or when did you guys <coughs> meet initially? We met at Blue, a bluegrass festival in mid-state Illinois. Um, her, uh, our family band opened up for her family band. Oh, okay. And so the only time I really saw her was randomly at different bluegrass festivals. We'd run across one another. And honestly, John Meyer, it was the same thing. Uh, we had a friendship around music and families that played bluegrass music. And so the only time I ever really saw him as well was in multitude of different people was just at these random festivals. You would run into one another being on the same stage. And so, uh, yeah, that's what it was with Emily when we were 15. Um, and then I, th- I think we were 22, I think, when we got married, 22 or 23. So just a lot of life. It's, I think God has a sense of humor. Um, there's a lot of little details in my relationship with Emily that are really profound, looking back on what God was doing the entire time, and I'm really thankful for that now, but uh, we've got uh, three little kids now. <coughs> um, one is still in the oven. Uh, <laughs> we got a, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and then one that will be here, uh, Lord willing, in November. Wow! Congratulations. Uh, due date is, is November twelfth. Is this an, another <coughs> girl or is this a boy? Or? We uh, we don't know yet. Oh, okay. We're gonna catch baby and find out. Okay. So, I have an inkling that it's a boy, but. Uh, I'm happy with whatever God well, chooses. Well, either way, I mean, maybe if you have a boy, you'll have somebody to go do some of that outdoorsy <laughs> stuff that you like to do with. I don't That's know. right. Your and girls may be that way, oh too. Oh, my you never goodness. Know. My oldest daughter, she's already gotten two turkeys and a deer. Oh, and man. she will do anything to get me to take her hunting or fishing with me whenever I go. So uh, she's really amazed me at how much she likes to do the outdoorsy stuff. That's awesome. You're listening to an exclusive interview with Mo Pitney right here at RFD TV from our studios in Music Row. We'll be right back after this. We're back with you. Exclusive interview with Mo Pitney. So, Mo, tell me about you know your transition to coming to Nashville because I know that you you signed with Curb I think pretty early on in, in your twenties. You know, and you, yep. you've had your first record out I think in 2016 maybe. So, yeah, I don't keep too close a track of timing, but I believe that's right. Yeah, so so what was that like? How did you how did you end <coughs> up getting down here to Nashville? I mean, were you playing music elsewhere and then just kind of made your way here? Did somebody bring you here? Or how, did, how did that happen for you? Yeah, so um, like I said, we were playing bluegrass at the time. I looked at my life very simply. I thought that I would spend the rest of my life working hard like my dad did, uh, fixing up old cars and buying and selling and trading, which is uh, the life that my dad um, lived as I was growing up and then played bluegrass on the weekends. And I thought that little by little I would just make bluegrass and and simple country music for the rest of my life. And uh, we started making an album in our basement, me, my dad, and my brother, Blake, who's an amazing bass player and singer. (coughs) And we recorded a song that was written by a guy named Billy Lawson, who's an amazing songwriter um, in this area. And he called my dad. We were actually working on a a hotel on disassembling a three-city block hotel (coughs) that was filled with old antique circle sawn lumber, which another story that's part of what my house is built out of now. But uh, in the middle of that project with my dad that he had taken on, 
Billy called and said that he thought that he could teach me how to write songs and that maybe I would get a record deal. So we started to travel back and forth, and <clears throat> just what he said happened. I didn't believe it would be possible. Um, I started writing songs, and he taught me how to write songs just by me watching him, and uh, owe a lot to him, actually. And then uh, ended up getting a deal originally uh, with Universal, which was a demonstration deal that they passed on, and uh, then Curb got to hear what I would sound like on record, and a guy named John Osher brought me over to Curb Records and uh, signed my deal there. Uh, went through a little period of time where we were kind of creatively seeing uh, what the record would sound like and then writing songs and things like that. Uh, a guy named Tony Brown called me and asked if he would produce my first project um, or if he could produce that. And obviously I said yes. I loved all the things that he had produced and the things that he had done in his life. And we uh, worked on that first project, which was a collection of the songs that I'd written when I first came to town uh, with some outside songs behind this guitar, the title track being one of those, uh, written by Don Sampson and Phil O'Donnell. But uh, yeah, it was actually halfway through that first record when I had this conversion experience, which is really amazing. I'm learning how to write songs. I'm learning how to make music. I'm singing about things that I love, like a dog, heartbreak stuff and everything. And then I get radically converted in the middle of making the record, which is why by the time I got to the last part of the record, I recorded that Fernando Ortega song, Give Me Jesus. Oh, wow. As to say, all of these things are things that I love, but you could have all these things that I've just sung about if it meant I had to trade him for Jesus. He's ultimate. And um, so then after that, we made the second album, Ain't Looking Back, uh, with a producer named Jim Moose Brown. That oh, yeah. all happened in the midst of COVID when that ended up ge- being released, and that was a wild process. And uh, But yeah, that's kind of coming to town, how I uh, slowly but surely just kind of got involved with all the things that are happening here. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't know until looking yesterday. So Jim Moose Brown actually goes to church with me. Hmm. Uh, I've played piano beside him while he's played B3 organ, as wow. you know, as wonderful as he is. But wow. but I uh, I heard a story, and I, and I kind of want you to, to retell this for our audience <laughs> because I was listening on my way here. When you guys produced and did that, the old home plays, yeah. that was a one take that you guys did that or, or something yeah, so, to that effect? Tell, tell me about that. <clears throat> so this story, this has been really interesting. Uh, God's been actually speaking to me about why we recorded that song. But um, in the middle of the session, um, I was, because the record I played and sang, and we mm-hmm. tried to get as much live music as possible without a click track. I'm, I'm very drawn to human music that is divorced from the computer um and i uh would sit and play and sing with the band and lord willing we would get the take of my vocal all at once that wasn't the whole project with ain't looking back but a lot of it it was and anytime we stand up and go back and sit down i will play whatever songs in my head i say to make friends with the microphone again like get reacquainted and I played the first verse and chorus of Old Home Place. And Moose heard it through the speakers. And he just said, Mo, just 
I just told the band to do something, don't freak out, but they're just going to come in, and uh, we're just going to track it. The drummer's going to do something when that happens, don't freak out, just play it to the end. <clears throat> and that's what we did. I kicked it off on my guitar and just started singing it, and the band came in, and we played it once, and then we moved on to the next thing. Well, two days later, Marty Stewart was in Moose's studio, and he heard that rough track that we just cut and whatever and he goes whatever that is I want to be a part of it and after Marty had kind of said that we ended up uh, calling the rest of the guys like Ricky Skaggs and Jerry Douglas and see who would want to be a part of it and then we had another day where we all got together recorded the video of us doing that uh, we all played over top that original take wow. which helped it find some continuity with the record which was the rest of this band and all of that. But, you know, God, at this point in my life, I've told you my story a little bit about coming from very simple uh, country ways of thinking to move to a town that is very, maybe much not that way. Um, I'm at a season in my life where I think God is calling me back out of the city's system and to think of my life uh, back with the simplicity of, say, something like bluegrass or gospel music. And uh, God's this week has just kind of brought up that verse. You know, Jesus said, if anyone puts his hand to the plow and turns back, he's not worthy of being my disciple. And if you think about the old home place uh, chorus, it says, why did I leave my plow in the field? and look for a job Job in the the town. town. Mm. And there's something about that currently where God is saying, I'm getting ready to reverse that decision. And I'm going to ask you to think about your music career and life more on the front porch and with your hand to the plow. And uh, the bluegrass record that we just recorded, we might uh, talk about it later. We've got a song called Morning Dove in the Evening Time, which picks up on this, put your hand to the plow and look ahead and don't turn back language. Um, that's just kind of this ongoing conversation through music with my family and with Nashville and with music lovers and things like that. That's been really interesting that I didn't even know was happening. I'm just kind of following the prompting of the Holy Spirit and God's telling a pretty profound story with it. All right, Mo. So I know that you get around pretty well on a guitar, but you also are quite the banjo picker that I have that I have seen. So I mean, how long have you played banjo, and and do you play other instruments as well, or is it just those two? Or yeah, those are the only ones that I would ever be comfortable to like um, pick up in a jam or something like that. And a banjo, I um, I'm not quick to pick it up, um, but I started with the guitar. And I I started playing country music at open mic nights, and somebody was warming up, a bluegrass band was warming up in Oregon, Illinois, when I was 13. Um, And the banjo player was tuning up, and I just looked at it, and I just, like, fell in love with the instrument immediately. And I turned to my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to play the banjo. He goes, well, I got one at the house. My dad's also a banjo player. Oh, okay. So I just picked up his banjo, and I actually set aside my guitar for almost a year 
and my dad started to play the guitar and singing lead, and I played banjo at these <laughs> bluegrass festivals. And I went through a period where all I wanted to do was be a tenor singer that played banjo. Wow. I've always wanted to be a sideman um, and not feel the weight of having to like carry the whole night with conversation, whatever. I just wanted to be able to sit there and get lost in music and, and, and pour my heart out in that way. And so it got to the point where the more I sang, the more my parents could tell that God had given me a voice to sing. Um, and so they just kind of said, you really need to play acoustic and front the band. My dad started playing the banjo. My dad's a great harmony singer. So then he started to sing the high tenor and play the banjo. My brother played the bass, and uh, we took off from there. And so uh, every once in a while, people would ask me to play the banjo uh, on these open mic jams uh, for their bands, and then I would play with my dad and brother, and I would sing and play guitar. Um, And uh, I just haven't touched it for a few years, but if you're looking on Instagram here recently, I've just kind of gotten the itch to start playing again. And uh, I sit around the house. If I pick up an instrument anymore, if I'm not writing a song, um, I normally will pick up the banjo and just play, or you know, and brings me back to my childhood love of music. Have you gotten the chance to pick it up and go play it at the Station Inn yet? I haven't yet, but we played um, bluegrass at the Station Inn quite a bit here this last year, which was cool. Um, but I haven't, I haven't been brave enough to do it out live uh, yet. But uh, I think that's probably going to start happening again just because I'm getting comfortable with it. Switching gears here. So I I know that, and congratulations to you, first of all, because I think you're up for, I think, two Dove Awards coming this October. Yeah, I, uh, I think that there was, there was three possibilities. I'm certain of one and I'll be totally honest. I don't know how they all work. I keep telling there's like, uh, one level where, you're nominated and then you're nominated and then you're nominated. It's like you go through all these different levels and I'll be honest, I feel ignorant. I don't, I don't, each one of those are at, but I'm for certain that the collaboration with uh, Darren and Brooke Aldridge and Ricky Skaggs, the Jordan thing is up currently. Um, And I don't know about the, the other ones. I, I wrote a song called uh, Here Comes Jesus that uh, was a possibility for a while for Jeff and Sherry Easter and then uh, a group called Klein which is a praise and worship team um, and just amazing brothers and sisters in Christ we wrote a song together called Worthy One and I was a part of a video in that recording and that was but I think the only one that's still hanging on might be be Jordan. Now your your recording that you did with Klein, you were singing harmony on that as well, right? Correct. See, that what I found so interesting about this is that if you look at the the arrangement that you did with Darren Brooke Aldridge, you're kind of doing the low end of that, like bass. you know, you're doing yeah. the bass line, and then and then if you switch over to this, I mean, you're like hitting these like mid to tenor high harmonies, and it just it's this really cool you know, just collaboration of, you know, it just kind of shows off your vocal range. And when I say tender to high, I just mean like, you know, you're in that little, it's just showing you off a little bit of your upper register a little bit. Yeah, there was a bass singer in my grandparents' church, and I always loved him singing bass. And I asked him, how did you start singing bass? And he says, I just started doing it. (laughs) And he says, I'd wake up in the morning and sing low. 
Um, but he says, you do know that I used to sing tenor in this group. I go, no way. That, I just couldn't believe it. And so I'd always sing tenor because I'd play bluegrass and I'd play my banjo and sing tenor. So I always kind of knew where to find that in my vocal range. And then the more I sang country music, whether that be Johnny Cash music or Daryl Singletary music, I would wake up early in the morning and sing that low part. And I'll be honest, that that recording of Jordan, I thought we were going to record it higher than that. But it ended up when we got there to move it down because it was better for the sake of everybody. But it put me... In yeah. the basement, and I'm like, I don't know if you guys might need to get a real bass singer for this, but it they just turned me way up. I sang real quiet, and it worked. So yeah, um, I enjoyed awesome. it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds awesome. Okay, so tell me, we talked a little bit about you know you and Johnny Meyer doing stuff together. So tell me, tell me more about that story. How you guys got linked up, became friends, and now doing music. Yeah. So uh, like I said before, he uh, and I just had small contact with one another in all these different bluegrass festivals. We were in a couple different just random jams and hallway jams at Spigma and IBMA. And, uh, then he had that encounter with Jesus, and that was during the time when he had moved to Nashville. And uh, when he told me about that, um, I had my encounter, and it was like soon after that we became really, really close friends, one of my best friends in the world. And so because we love bluegrass, we love Jesus, um, we're simple guys, um, and our family life was similar and friend circles were the same, we played a lot of bluegrass together, either in uh, his uh, living room or my living room or whatever. And... um, you know, I just can't believe that this hasn't happened before or now, but we just uh, wrote songs together, played, we wrote country songs together, we did writer things together, but then one day he just said, will you come down to the Station Inn and do a bluegrass night with me? And I, I was like, you know what? I really would love that. It's been a long time since I've actually really, in a thoughtful way, expressed that. And so we started to get together and practicing what songs we might do. And we started writing songs, didn't even know this was going to happen, while we were playing the old songs, the Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs mm-hmm. songs. We would be jamming, we'd get an idea, and we'd write a whole chorus, and then we'd go back to Gonna Settle Down or whatever. And then John and I would write the verses afterwards. And that just kept happening. And within like three months, we had a record of songs that was like these need to be recorded and so uh we started to think man how is that ever going to happen when i moved to nashville there were people that said things to me like i they're gonna have to beat the bluegrass out of me (laughs) (laughs) um i mean literally people would joke and say that and they were partly successful until god decided uh, to flip the tables but um anyways uh then sam hunt called john and I and said, hey, I saw you guys are finally doing what I've loved of your guys's for forever. I've been watching your guys's YouTube videos at IBMA and Spigma, hoping that you guys would make a record. And now that you guys are doing this at the Station Inn, will you come open up for my sold out show at the Ryman? Yeah. Which was like, if there was anyone in town that I would pick to do that, it would not be Sam Hunt. <laughs> it just wouldn't. Right. And I, I appreciate him. I appreciate his appreciation of outdoors and country things and the way that that shows up in his music. But I just never made the connection that he'd be a bluegrass lover. 
And so I was very humbled, very thankful, and uh, we got to kind of debut what was happening randomly on uh, Ryman stage. And uh, then soon after that, the conversations about making a record just started to happen, and, and we have not been able to stop it since yeah. then. So Was playing the Ryman in that capacity versus, because I'm sure you've played there quite a few times, maybe with the Opry, if the Opry was there, was, was it a different experience being in that environment versus what you have done just as a you know solo Yeah, actor? I think that finally having absolutely nothing polluting uh, my decision making of why uh, I love music. You know, I think subconsciously moving to Nashville, you don't realize how much everyone's voice threatens to pollute the pure gift of music. And um, I think this collaboration is the first time that none of those voices are uh, polluting why we're doing this. And so to be able to be on that stage where some of our favorite music has been made that's connected to old-timey bluegrass and gospel music and then be able to do it in an unashamed, just like this is really what we love. This is our whole heart. This is our our childhood just being expressed in front of all these people. Um, that all together is what was amazing to me. It just seemed childlike, it seemed innocent, it seemed pure, and just full of of joy. And so, yeah, that was the first time I'd experienced that since moving to Nashville, I think. Do you guys have a timeline or anything you think about maybe if anybody will see music in the well, near future? Or? I hope it's quick. Uh, everything's recorded. We're mixing it next week. And... Um, we're just taking it one step at a time. There's some complications. Uh, just the nature of what it is being a collaboration and trying to figure out how that relates to my original uh, agreement uh, with Curb. And we're having to work through some of those details. And I really hope that that doesn't hold up this project because it feels like it's it's time for it to move. And... Um, so I'd love it if it was the first part of the year, but that's just going to have to be a, a God thing if it, if it moves that quickly. So You're listening to an exclusive interview with Mo Pitney right here from the RFD-TV studios on Music Row. I'm Freeman Arthur. We'll be right back after this. We're back with an exclusive interview with Mo Pitney, and Mo has got his guitar in his hand, and he is uh, ready to play us something. Yeah. So we've done a lot of talking. We brought up the old home place chorus. Why did I leave my plow in the field and look for a job in the town? And the way I normally set up this song is that I didn't realize, you know, I, I fell in love with country music and bluegrass music because it's saying about the rural life and the things that I love, like rivers and weeping willows and uh, morning doves singing and catching catfish and playing guitar and uh, people that sang about things that I loved I was drawn to and I didn't realize how disorienting it would be to move to the middle of all this concrete and try to be inspired by rivers and catfish and and all of that so I felt God start to ask me to go back out into the wilderness like he often tells his people to do to hit the reset button and um, here um, from above, you know, why do we love this world that he's given us? 
Why do we uh, see the beauty that he originally wanted to share with us? And um, So I went to the outskirts of town and got with a friend of mine, uh, Jim Moose Brown, the producer, and shared this idea, and it didn't take long for it to happen. And I'm thankful it's called Maybe That's Why I Write My Songs on the Outskirts of Town. Waking up early in the morning Grabbing my guitar and walking out on that creaking porch Just to strum a few chords And I remember sitting down fishing in the river Baiting my hook with a chunk of chicken liver If the fish didn't bite Still got to catch the moonlight Feeling that soft, cool breeze Never felt more at peace Don't you wish a town like this Could feel a little more like that I never heard a whippoorwill singing Through the noise of an overpass Oh, but it sure feels good to be up here Singing about the life I found how I had to slow things down And maybe that's why I write my songs On the outskirts of town oh, When a good old boy meets the Broadway lights All the smoke and the sparkle in the big skyline Might make you think That you found your dream but if you look for the truth and stop living for the money You'll sneak back home and soak in how your honey's I love you sounds Oh, and you'll write that down and Then you'll want to sing it every night And shine a brighter kind of Broadway light Don't you wish your town like this could feel a little more like that a place where you can sing about dogs and kids running round out back Yeah, sure feels good to be up here singing about the life I found And how I had to slow things down And maybe that's why I write my songs on the outskirts of town Yeah, sure feels good to be up here singing about the light I found I'm trying to spread it all around And maybe that's why I write my songs On the outskirts of town Man, that is awesome, Mo. Thank you. I, I, I've <laughs> always been a fan of your voice ever the first time I ever heard you sing. I mean, you just have such amazing vocal control i mean oh it's my just, goodness it's just, it's just fantastic <laughs> thank you been, been a fan for a long time that's that's a great song i, I appreciate that. that i uh that song uh, i'm so thankful that moose wanted to do it with me and we uh it's cool that we got to r- literally write it on the outskirts at his place called the moose lodge oh, which yeah. is where i recorded ain't looking back okay there's been a, a just a cool kind of like um 
I don't know what it is, just almost like finding the creativity out in the place that inspires me, you know, and then um, you kind of bring it back to town and share it in a sense of just being like, do you guys remember how, <laughs> how beautiful it is out there where the dandelions are and the rivers run and and all of that? And so I was so thankful that I got to do that out there with him. And I don't know when we'll record that. It's not recorded, so, so you guys are getting kind of a sneak peek there. But uh, I'm excited about our next project and, and how that all will come together. So is... So. is Moose gonna be gonna be facilitating yeah, another project. Well, I I started. Um, we we made this bluegrass project, which has been really amazing. Uh, with a couple friends of mine, Daniel Kohavi and Eric. Bluegrass project. I'm kind of going, man. I want them to be a part of producing it, and so I'm like them to meet Moose. And there's so many things that are are changing and moving around right now where. I love working with Moose, and I, I hope I get to make music with him, but also God's doing something between John and Daniel and Eric, and I kind of keeping it all up in the air and asking God to, to show me what's going on, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I don't know uh, the answer to that, but I look forward to finding out. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. All right, what else you got for us, Mo? Uh, I'm going to try to get this crazy guitar in tune this is a song I, I don't know why I feel led to play this but this might be one of my favorite things that um, uh, has happened musically as far as writing songs in a long time and um, there is a um, kind of getting on this theme of Loving the outdoors, loving the beauty of, of God's world and what he's given us to be thankful for. And uh, just feeling recently how power and control and the love of money comes in and pollutes and destroys uh, kind of the overflow of that beauty that ultimately comes from heaven uh, has been at a very deep level, breaking my heart. And I was sitting in the woods not too long ago and started to hear these words. Uh, this idea of crying in the Bible is a very uh, amazing uh, theme. And the first time you see it is when uh, Abel's blood cries out from the ground and you go through the entirety of the Old Testament, you have the prophets crying, you have women going into the wilderness to wells and cry, and God shows up. You have the Israelites crying out to God when they're in the slavery of Egypt and the systems of Egypt. Um, you have John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. You have Jesus, it says, in the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up loud cries and tears, and he was heard for his reverence. And then in the New Testament, when God pours out his Holy Spirit, it says that um, we cry deeply, um, Abba, Father, and that's the witness that tells us that we're children of God. And you go further and it says that the earth is crying and groaning in the pains of childbirth and the children of God agree with that. And um, um, 
there's an old Native American prophecy that says that uh, when this kind of love of money swept across the beauty of this land, it robbed um, the earth of that uh, overflowing beauty, and that there would come a day when we couldn't drink out of the rivers anymore, and after that the children would cry, and when the children cry, then the fires come, and after the fires come, only God's children will be left. And I have felt across my brothers and sisters, even in the whole world, this collective cry. And the last cry that will happen is called the midnight cry, when an angel agrees with the people of God that it's time. And with that, in the middle of the night, I felt uh, led to write this song called When the Children Cry. When the children cry, it will be the time for the lamps to light and start the journey home. On that holy day, they will find their way, wrong will be made right when the children it will meet the ears of the Lord Most High With a trumpet sound He will split the skies And they will take their flight He will dry their eyes It will end all time When the children Oh, 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 like a mother hen, oh Jerusalem, he would have gathered them. He cried, and now sometime soon. All will be made new There'll be no more night When the children cry It will meet the ears Of the Lord Most High With a trumpet sound He will rip the sky and we will take our flight He will dry our eyes It will end all time When the children cry Oh, 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 oh. children cry he will draw the line 
There'll be blood and fire As darkness meets its end When the Father says Son, go bring them in He'll come out to fight When the children Man, what a great testimony that that, that can be for I mean, because that song kind of serves as a warning, but then also it's it's just poetically beautiful as well, you know. Yeah, I think that true hope believes that all will be made right one day, and if God doesn't deal with the problem, there's no hope, and the people that are oppressed by the evil systems. Uh, have to know that one day it will be taken care of. Jesus said, vengeance is mine. And um, that actually gives uh, God's people the patience to love. You know, in, in James, it says the, the, the laborer, uh, the wages of the laborer that you uh, held back by fraud by those who labored in your fields are crying out against you. And the righteous person does not uh, essentially like he doesn't resist you. So like he's not he's not trying to to hurt you. He's just letting you abuse him. But that cry will meet God's ears, and God's going to do something about it. And um, yeah, that's been the people of God's story forever. And they have hope because they know that God will will do what he said he did and bring them home on the wings of an eagle, you know. So, yeah. anyways. Two two great songs there. I hope that we find them somewhere on our record at some point. For people yeah. To, but till then, people can go back and, and re-listen to, to the two two takes you just gave us right there. Mo, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know has got to be a, a really busy schedule <laughs> for you to, to come in and come back into the city. I'm sorry to pull yeah. you from the out, outdoors. No, I think, <laughs> honestly, I want to say thank you. And this is the first interview that I've done since, uh, for a couple, it feels like a year or two. I mean, I feel like when we released Ain't Looking Back, um, kind of 2020 just stifled it all. And then God just said, just go wait and I'll give you other opportunities to share. But this seems like kind of the first one. And I appreciate you being a space where you just let me share what's really on my heart. I think, I get afraid to kind of come to the city and and share if I feel like I'm not able to share everything that's in my heart to share. And it's it's very, I'm just really thankful for this uh, opportunity to share. Well, you are welcome back anytime, and you're always welcome to share whatever's on your heart, brother, because <laughs> we, we absolutely appreciate it. And uh, new music hopefully coming out people can look forward to. Yeah, so this uh, Bluegrass album is one of the most inspiring things that I've ever been a part of, and uh, I just can't wait for people to hear that. I hope that's coming out the first part of the year. Those last two songs I shared, I hope it's on my next singer-songwriter project just the second we turn in this bluegrass project, I want to go in and cut all of that. So hopefully 
Maybe two albums will come out next year. We'll see. All right. Well, we'll stay up to date with him. MoPitney.com. You can also keep up with him, Mo Pitney, on pretty much every social media platform you can keep up with mm-hmm. Mo. I'm sure he'll be giving us the details of anything that releases whenever it does. And uh, I'm going to be keeping my eye out. Good luck for the Dove Awards. That's, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool as well. Yeah. Thank you. And then look up Johnny Meyer, that collaboration I'm doing with him. We have an Instagram account right now called Pitney Meyer and... You can follow all the bluegrass goings on through that, too. 